Watch this. Welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. Today we are joined by Sam Williams. Hello. Cal Wing. Hello. Hi, Cal. Hello. And Bruce Fitzpatrick. Hello. As always, you can get in touch on at Cookie Jar Golf on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And gents, today's been it's been a long time. How are we all doing? Getting bored. What's the mer- I, th- I mean, I think we should probably let our listeners know we are adhering to the lockdown and doing this doing this virtually, aren't we? You know. Absolutely. Staying at home, sure. staying safe. Um, We've got some fantastic remote technology, haven't we? It's just been so boring, though, hasn't it? I know, but I, I do think, you know, it, times like this, you realise there's a lot more important things out there than golf. And, you know, it's it's nice to know that by doing this, we are kind of helping, all collectively helping solve the problem of COVID. And, you know mm. what, actually doing it through through videos isn't too bad, actually. And, and it's it's working quite nicely. Exactly. You just look for the positives, and this is our off season. Fine, plenty, plenty to work on. The bit I'm struggling with is this is starting to get a bit too comfortable. I'm starting to to find it a bit too easy to stay at home and do absolutely nothing. <laughs> the day's going to come when I have to go back to work, and it's not going to be pleasant. Well, I, I'm just um, I'm just sat in the living room in full golf gear, golf shoes, just in a dark room, meditating, thinking about my rounds, starting up again in June, and trying to do some positive visualisation. So I'd recommend that if you. Are those comments. positive affirmations I can see on the wall behind you there, Bruce? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've started writing things down and then framing them just to really, you know, focus on the <laughs> focus on the mental side of things. I like Not. it. Carl, have you been keeping yourself busy with a golf game? Mm, lots of reading actually um various books magazines etc journals um rolling a lot of putts on the astro still yeah bit of putting to be that's got a little bit boring i've sort of probably moved inside onto the old um know what the craze is what are those little things you putt to that everyone seems to have oh the little stopper thing yeah it like rolls up perfect putt perfect putt that's it um looks irritating yeah it looks like something else probably not a, anything to do with golf but phallic yeah um but that's fine it's other than that it's i'd pay a lot of money to play 18 holes right now i'm concerned that when i go back to golf i'm not going to have enough swing thoughts i might have to start <laughs> thinking about what they were i mean i was probably rattling through about 15 20 swing thoughts by the time i'd finished <laughs> per uh, round when we, when we stopped yeah so i yeah. don't know i might need to, to try and get them all crammed back in that really helps the swing i find it, i think it will be interesting it, it feels like it's going to go one of two ways like you'll get some people come back who will just have a have probably quite a quiet mind and go and shoot the lights out um and then there'll probably be other people who literally can't make contact because they've not swung a club or <laughs> just not really hit a golf ball properly in you know the best part of a month or or two months or however long it's going to end up um, going on for this lockdown, but it'll be it'll be interesting for sure to see how people react to it when the uh, golf courses are open. There's no doubt, absence certainly makes the heart grow fonder, and it's true for golf for me right now. The one saving grace is reading a bit of Bob Rotella. Um, mm. So same as you, Calvin, sort of turning through a few books. Our, our, our followers on Instagram will have seen a few shares of what we've been reading. 
But Rattel has been pretty interesting. So, like, you're talking there about swing thoughts, Tom, I guess, kind of coming into when we get back, loosen up a bit, loosen the shoulders and have some trust that the swing's still there. But same as you, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure what a full, full range shot is going to feel like in, in six or eight weeks' time. You got through Tom Doak's book as well, didn't you? I was a peach, an absolute peach. Um, haven't read a book by a course architect before. Um, obviously, a lot of the great written works are, were done kind of way back in the in the golden era of course design in the sort of nineteen twenties and around that era. You've got um, you know some of the some of the huge you know people like Simpson. You know some of the works that were written then by people like um, Mackenzie, etc. But Dokes is really cool. Like it's written in, it's written for the modern golfer. Um, kind of talks a lot about stuff like the, you know, the modern game, how that's blending in with old course design, and really echoes, I think, a lot of the stuff we've already talked about, which is not a case of just stick the tees back, stick the tees back, over and over again. Actually, kind of using kind of the core architectural principles around golf course design. So, um, for anyone bored at home, missing golf and keen to turn the pages on something good. Definitely Anatomy of a Golf Course is a good read. And Carl, what have you been reading that's really uh, excited you? Uh, I've just finished The Grand Slam. Um, Sam, will, Sam will remind me of the author. Who is it? Mark Frost. Mark Frost, um, which was a good read, all about the, um, the life of Bobby Jones uh, and his career leading up to his Grand Slam and as he pretty much retired, as that was completed. Um, really great read, really. Um, it's a shame I'd sort of, just as as the book finished, he was um, just diving into um, his sort of life at Augusta, really, and buying that plot of land um, with a friend and starting up, really. So I think there are other books on that of how Augusta started and leading into the Masters, etc., at the risk of providing spoiler alerts on that book, he goes on to win all four majors in 1930. I'm sure most of the people will know that. However, there is a nice little excerpt from where he played. I think it was in Pebble Beach, right? Do you remember that? He, he played yeah. in Pebble Beach. I think he missed the cut or he had a free afternoon or something like that. And he went over to play a course that he'd heard about on the Monterey Peninsula, yeah. which was a course Cypress Point, And it was just totally like blown away. Couldn't believe what he saw. Heard that it was designed by Mackenzie, and then when the opportunity came to design his kind of um, his masterpiece, his Sistine Chapel, if you will, he he wanted to kind of collaborate with Mackenzie. And there's some nice shots that um, I've seen floating around on on Twitter recently from one of our yeah. um, one of our good friends of, of of Jones and and Mackenzie designing it. So um, it's just not, it's a really wow. good it's a it's a good book in in history of the game, particularly from what is a a key era. I'd love to check that out. I've read um, Mark Frost's other book, The Match, which talks about... Yeah, Hogan. I might go on to that. Oh, that is incredible. Um, Worth a read. Just, yeah, just to set the scene for, for listeners, that is about a... I think it's a famous businessman in, um, in California who's at a party one evening and he ends up saying that he's got two amateurs working for him, amateur golfers, Ken Venturi and Harvey Ward, who he says are just the best best players in the world and there's no one out there who could beat them um and he's you know proclaiming this quite sort of um arrogantly if you will and someone says i'll take that bet and he walks out the room makes a couple of phone calls and comes back in and says yeah i've got two players who'll take on uh ward and venturi i've got ben hogan and byron nelson and they end up playing a a better mm. ball match around cypress point and it's just incredible 
I won't give away any more, but um, yeah, Mark Frost, he always always seems to deliver the goods. Interesting. And 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 final thing, because we are eight minutes in, or eight, eight minutes 45 in, I believe, and I'm well and truly off topic. But um, you've also just come through on the Golfer's Journal, and that's Correct. been a little bit yeah. exciting. How, just tell our listeners about that. Yeah, I'm on to journal number two. Um, so Golfer's Journal, for anyone who doesn't know, it's... Um, publication based uh based the guys are based out in california and um but it's just golf literature from all over the world and um for our friend of the pod tom coin is heavily involved and he runs their podcast side as well and um yeah there's four issues so one a quarter and um it's cover absolutely anything and everything really and it's just a they're pieces of art they literally are they're um so well put together some amazing photography amazing stories and and um, just some great insights, which it's not well to worth be confused reading. with other monthly golf publications. This exactly, is a piece there's of very, quality. very limited on um, on any sort of what they call commercials or advertisements, that sort of thing. Um, it really is sort of handpicked stuff, and um, looks great on the bookshelf as well. And how many uh, are they up to now? How many books? Uh, so I think so. We've got I've got eleven. And I think number 12 is due to arrive in the next few weeks, which will obviously be for Q2 this year. But that's an exciting day when that pops through the letterbox. They're quite, they're a decent read. I mean, I'm breaking into number two. And um, although I was finishing off the other book, it's, um, yeah, they're quite, they're a good read. They really are some good content in there. And not, um, I wouldn't say you're typically sort of flicking through and rushing it like some of the other magazines. Mm. Um, quite unique actually it seems yeah. that it covers a lot about the sort of history of the game and the architecture and the amateur game and it's not as you say it's not this sort of weekly or monthly magazine that's just cover to cover with ads about the latest driver technology it's there's actual substance to a lot of what they're they're talking about isn't there and, and Bruce exactly putting a shameless plug in for the president's putter edition I think are you going to say you're in there funny funny you should say that because there is a massive ape page spread on the president's putter in <laughs> the second that. one that I've I'm not got shameless that. Bruce absolutely yeah. shameless I had no idea I had no they idea. only do really good stories <laughs> about really good golfers big amateur I, events I, I, and, and and some really interesting stuff in there I had no idea I had no idea about that I'm not going to nibble <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> right Tom what's on the agenda today well we're recording this on the 13th of April which is obviously the day after the Masters should have finished. So we're going to have our picks for the Masters and what we think would have happened. And um, First of all, let's start with the, the uh, current presence putter holder. Bruce, what do you think uh, would have happened in the Masters? Uh, I would like to think Rory would have finally got oh, a career so. Grand Slam. I feel, you know, he did a podcast um, just, I think it was just before the players was cancelled. Which I, it was released last week, and it was quite interesting listening to and just hearing about you know his sort of approach to golf at the moment and how how he feels like his game has been trending over the last couple of years. I mean, just looking back at his finishes prior to the um, you know the lockdown and the cancellation of all world sport, you know he's gone tied fifth at the Arnold Palmer 
fifth in Mexico, tied fifth at Genesis, tied third at the Farmers, fourth in Dubai at the season-ending DP World, obviously won the WGC, he's come tied third at the Zozo. Basically, you can go all the way back to the Open where he missed the cut at Port Rush, and I think he only finished outside the top 20 once, which was at the Dunhill. So I think, yeah, that form and, and just the place that he seems to be in mentally would all bode well for him finally. Sam, what do you reckon to Rory's chance to win the Masters? I think I think it's going to happen at some stage. The guy's stats are off the charts. I, I think, think he's... Um... Thank, thanks for that insight. <laughs> no, well, I, don't know, I don't know what you're supposed to, to say because, you know, it's, it's one tournament in a 52-week-a-year season that these guys play. Clearly, he's got to string it together against some world-class players out there. So he's putting himself in the right position. If you look at his stats and, and start saying, well, 2020, so far this year... Sixth strokes gained off the tee. Third approaches approaches to the green. His stats putting are never that high. His best his best putting stats he's had in the last five years was 2019, and that was 24th. So, actually, he's putting himself in all the right spaces. His his record, his results speak for themselves. And I don't think he's got that bad a winning average. He gets kind of slammed for being a bit of a choker, but as we've talked about before on the pod, he's winning something like a third of the times when he's got a 54 hole lead. So. I honestly think Rory will get it done, but the Masters is a highly competitive affair. Look at last year with Woods. Woods came through in the end, but there could have been, I think there were six or seven players last year who could have easily got that done just with a few putts going in on the back nine. But every year that he doesn't do it, it's just more and more pressure. It's no, so you kind of feel got, like he's got to do it quickly. He's got I, time I think on he's his past side. that mentally, yeah. I, think, I do think he's side. overcome that. I mean, how old was is Tiger? What was he? Forty-four when he won last year. Mm. Something like that, roughly. Um, what? And Rory's only. I think he's turning thirty-one next month. So, so he's got he's got plenty of time on his hands. And he's, he's as you say, I think he's freewheeling it now. He's um, mm. he's playing great. It's almost he just. I think he's finally learned to sort of shrug his shoulders at bad results now. It doesn't really seem to bother him. And, and as you say, he could have literally won the last five or six tournaments probably. And he's desensitized yeah. himself to it, I think partly through his involvement with the media. If you watch him week in, week out, if he shoots 100, not that it happens very often, or if he shoots 62, he puts himself in front of the media every week. He talks about it. He's, he's relaxed. He's calm. He's quite comfortable with where his game's at. And yeah. he's mm. he's got the scars, and and sometimes you need some of those scars to help you build up a bit of toughness on you know closing straight in these big tournaments. So uh, clearly he's he's doing all the right things to put himself in position. Will that translate into a win? Will he will he be one of many players to have never lifted you know to win the Masters? I think he's too good for it not to happen at some point. Sam, who are you picking? We, we, we all know Sam's going to go with Leash, don't we? You're going Leash. So I, I just want to talk a little bit about Mark Leishman because <laughs> he's currently 15th in the world. He's coming in fairly hot into the Masters. Got, he finished 7th uh, in the Arnold Palmer, 8th in the Genesis Invitational. He was 7th in the Farmers Insurance. He's been on the tour for 15 years now, and he's 7th in the FedEx rankings. You don't get there by accident if you can't hold it together, particularly when the pressure's on. So I think, you know, we've, we've talked about it before. I think the tournament favours people have been around for a while as well. I know some people have won there, you know, with relatively low tenure. So people like Spieth were relatively young in their career when they 
when they won there, but I, I, I still stand by it. Leishman. I just hope he holds his form coming into November because that would be mm. the world's greatest. Who would you fancy in your hypothetical 2020 Masters if it was concluded yesterday, Cal? Uh, uh, looking at last year and... I think he's a bit of an outsider, similar along the sort of same lines as Leishman was Patrick Cantley. Um, he's obviously been top amateur there in the past. I think he finished third last year, something like that. Um, had a good well, he chance. He was the one who went on the run, didn't he? On the on the he back did. Line. Oh, he, he went was... crazy, didn't he? Um, yeah. But I just think again, it'd be it'd be someone like that, maybe before someone as obvious as Rory. I think that's a pretty good call. I mean, don't forget, Cantley's top 10 in the world, right? So, yeah. mm. you know, he is he's right up there in terms of quality. And people just, he's like, he's kind of got that Mark Leishman factor in so much as I think people just skip over him because he's not a DJ, a Spieth, a McElroy or a Woods. Mm. People just kind of skip over and go, mm, bit of a second-rate player. Guy's world-class. Yeah, just because it's not fireworks and fist pumps and controversial sort of sound bites doesn't mean that he's not a, incredible player in his own right I, yeah i definitely agree moving yeah. um moving on to maybe a broader discussion about who this break this enforced break's been good for and maybe who it hasn't been so good for we obviously talked about rory's uh recent run of form and how he'd probably like to you know in an ideal world to have kept on playing who out there do you think has benefited from this um from this enforced layoff benefiting you most you think yeah. bruce yeah so, I mean, I'm going to put it out there. I don't know what you guys think. I'm going to say Jordan Spieth straight off the bat. Yeah. Funnily enough, I was thinking about that the other day. I thought I was um, probably watching a couple of his, um, I don't know, recent major wins over the last sort of four years. And um, and I was as I was watching it, I couldn't help but think, yeah, I mean, he's sort of been so up and down with his game the last 12 to 18 months. And, um, and actually thought, you know what? He's probably grinding his ass off at the moment. I'm sure he's got a facility where he could, he doesn't have, he can just go and hit balls. He, so so I think the I think the Jordan Spieth thing's interesting because I'm not, I'd have to double check the stats, but I'm pretty sure this would be the first time he's outside the top 50 in the world rankings for at least five years. Now, if I go back, his best finish since October was T ninth at the Pebble Beach AT and T uh, Pro Am. If you remember, he shot 67 on the final day, and I think the field average was like well over par that day. It was fast greens, it was windy, it was like a it was a it was an unbelievable score. That kind of got him right into the mixer. Apart from that, it's been really average. Now, if I just mm. kind of talk to you about Jordan's stats, 2020 season, which obviously includes partly some of the wraparound and stuff towards the back end of last year, he's 195th strokes gained off the tee, 198th strokes gained approach. 90th strokes gains putting. Now, if I if I look back in 2017, where he was absolutely crushing it, that year he won the AT&T, he won the Open, and the week before the Open, he won the Travelers. He was 44th strokes gained off the tee, 48th putting, and he was second strokes gained approach. That is, that is a huge delta in the space of a few years in terms of where your game's at. And I don't know. You lads got any thoughts on kind of what that, you know, cause would be or uh, you know yeah well i mean you know what i'm like i'm a bit of a sort of um a golf swing technique like geek and, and nerd and i like you know just sort of uh listening to to what various instructors or coaches out there have to say on on these kind of topics and 
yeah, obviously there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of commentary on Spieth and maybe where he's gone wrong over the last few years. Um, I mean, Brandel Chambly summarises it by saying that it's just overcomplicated golf instruction, but there's obviously more to it than that, and it would be fascinating to know exactly what he's working on. But it seems like um, he's tried just, you know, from a layman's perspective, from what I can tell, it seems like he's trying to roll the face open a lot more on his backswing and try and get away from the stuff that he did really well as a junior, which was a more of a kind of shut faced. And then that famous bent left arm, some people call it a chicken wing through impact where, it, where the face is actually really stable, but he's kind of just like driving it down the line rather than um, kind of rolling his forearms over. It's more of a sort of cricket kind of forward defensive type motion, it seems. And it just seems like he's moved away from that. And I'm not sure whether he feels like he needs to change his technique to go on and win even more majors. But, to my mind, it seems pretty strange that someone who's, you know, had arguably the, the second best season in, in modern golf history in 2015 when he won two majors and a, and a whole bunch of other regular tour events. Um, and he's basically pursuing something technically that he's never really done. Um, I don't know what you, what you guys think about it. But. Um, yeah, with Spieth, it's a difficult one. I think um, from memory, his coach is Cameron McCormack, um, who I think yeah, he's... Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and it, um, Cameron might be his only ever coach. Uh, I'm not sure, but certainly in my opinion, I mean, doesn't really count for much, but um, if anything, but definitely worth getting a second opinion, I would have thought, whether it's going to Butch mm. or, you know, one of well, the Well, there's others. some guys out there, yeah, Teamwork there's some guys out there like Jeff Smith and Kelvin Mayahara, I think that's how you say it at least. Um, so, yeah, Jeff Smith and Kelvin, they've, they've both put some pretty interesting things out there about... Um, or pretty detailed, you know, breakdowns on video of, of where Spieth's techniques change over the last couple of years. But, uh, I mean, you never want to make sort of outrageously bold comments when you don't have the full facts of the situation. But I think he's, yeah, I totally agree with you, Cal. Like, it seems like they're changing something that, you know, has been a pretty consistent part of his swing since he was a junior <coughs> and... Maybe maybe it's just it's time to just simplify things and maybe go back to go back to where he was before technically wise and, yeah. and just accept that there are going to be little mini peaks and troughs. But if you try and radically overhaul your technique, you're going to make those ups and downs a lot more severe, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. What I think about Spieth is that you know that I think this all was facilitated by probably more of a mental um, deficiency. And that perhaps his mental his head wasn't in the right place, um, and then just what said, makes it's, you say that? "It's well, you know, around about the the collapse of the Masters, he he would say, or he has said that his swing before that that he felt like it wasn't in the right place, and that he was he always had the pulls on on the final day. But I wonder whether he just had this, you know, tremendous success early in his career, and then." what probably felt like a tremendous fall and felt like, well, right, well, obviously it's my swing's fault. It's not my head's fault. And I need to go and address that instead of just thinking, well, golf comes with its highs and lows. And I've just got to mm. stick with what I got. I know it works. I've won massive, I've won majors with this swing. Let's just crack on through it. I don't know. My, my only counterpoint to that, Tom, is that after that, you know, infamous collapse in 2016 when Willett ended up overtaking him he did come back in pretty serious fashion at the open in 2017 and you know showed real character when 
there was the whole incident and the, the delay over finding his ball and then having to take a drop on the driving range and then just going on that absurd run after where he went birdie, eagle, birdie, or whatever. He played the last four holes in five under. Yeah, where he just really rallied. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there who say that the overarching strength about Spieth's game is his like mental fortitude. So maybe it's, uh, yeah, it's obviously, as we all know, it's such a difficult game. There's so many variables, but... Um, it's different having the, the mental fortitude to make the ball go in the hole. You know, that sheer will that people used to say Jack Nicholas always had, that he just had the ability to get the ball in the hole, where I think it's different when you know you're not playing very well for a concerted period of time. That's a different mental capacity to say... No, just stick with this because my, my, you know, I've, yeah. won, <clears throat> I've won with this. Stick with the swing, you know, work on what I'm good at instead of a complete, what seems like what you're saying is a complete dismantling of his technique. Yeah. And then, yeah. I think it's like Pandora's box. So isn't it? I think when you go down that rabbit warren, it's very hard to come back out of it. And, you know, if, you know, this isn't like a sort of a two or three month spell where he started to sort of make alterations and, you know, been slightly out of form. He's still playing world-class golf. Let's let's not get away from the point he's playing to an incredible standard. But once you go into that process, it's very difficult to unwind it. It's not like you can just hit the reverse button and the undo and go back to, I'll just take it back to 2017 Birkdale and then we'll start again. That's Unfortunately, that for all of us, that's not the way golf works. So I think, I don't know. I think it will be really interesting to see what, what games Beath brings back out the other side of this. I mean, clearly limited resources and, and all those kind of um, COVID-19 kind of restrictions, but still, you know, I'm sure he'll be doing some work. He'll be one of the people who'll be trying to use this in a, and, and try and get as much out of it. I know some players are thinking, do you know what, I'm actually not going to do anything. Rory's a class example. I've not got anything to practice towards at the moment, so I'm actually just going to mm. treat it as a holiday. Um, just kind of moving us on slightly, someone who's kind of I look at statistically is quite interesting because we're kind of watching him move I think further and further back in official world golf rankings would be Mickelson who's gone down a separate rabbit warren of his own with power and kind of oh, yeah. club head speed carbs yeah. of Adonis yeah he's 49 when by the time he gets to the other side of June I think he's um he's old enough to play seniors I don't think he will play seniors personally never immediately. Play seniors. but I mean how, what game does he bring back at some point, older cars take a little bit more oiling up, don't they, when they come back on the track? You know, I don't know what <laughs> what happens. I don't know. He's yeah. on this um, He's on this coffee diet, isn't he? He's lost a lot of weight. Uh, he's fasting, whatever he's calling it. Um, I think Phil's too good. He's just, he'll come back in good form. His short game's just phenomenal, and that's what gets him around. End of the day, his driving's always loose, but... Yeah. relatively near to the second cut I think he'll um, he'll get it around I, I, I think he'll keep going pretty competitively I'm gonna say at least mid 50s do you think there'll be the yeah, day where you know someone what? just taps him on the shoulder and goes okay oh yeah <laughs> okay Phil that's enough yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why do you come and play yeah. why do you come and play out in the uh, Tour of Champions with us I wouldn't be surprised if um, Phil had a sort of kind of mini renaissance, as it were, when he gets a little bit older and loses um, some of that club head speed that he's put on recently. Because 
I don't think his game, you could maybe correct me if I'm wrong on this, Statsman Sam, but um, I don't think he's actually played that much better. Or, or in fact, I think he's probably declined a little bit in terms of his world ranking and his overall consistency since he's tried to pack on a load of club head speed with the driver. Um, and so maybe when he gets a little bit older and he kind of goes back to swinging more within himself, you know, judged over the last few years, um, he, he might just find that he's he's back competing at the, the, the absolute highest level of the game again more regularly. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's outside the top 50. He hasn't been outside the top 50 since I've been driving a car, I don't think. So, <laughs> and, I, and I'm, thir I'm 34 actually now. So I think that tells us everything we need to know. It's going backwards and backwards. Here's, um, mm. I did do a little bit of research on Phil before we came out. So um, he's 49 years old at the moment. This year, so since, since, since we're in 2020, He's missed four cuts on the PGA Tour. The only one result he's had where he's finished was the AT&T, and that was where he finished third. Um, yeah. Where he was actually defending his title. That's right. Yeah. So, mm. and, he, and he basically <laughs> just timed it for a week is what some people are saying. Yeah, and he which... likes Pebble. He won there last year. It's a course he's comfortable mm. with. He's got an obscene short game. Don't forget, smallest acreage, I think, greens with the exception is that Hilton Head. I think that's the only... Um, yeah, Harbour Town. Yeah, yeah Harbour Town. That's it, and and the smallest greens. So it, it clearly favours a player who can play some simply obscene short shots around the green, which which is clearly what happened. Um, I'm quite interested to know your take in terms of players. This is starting to impact, and what will they come back to? Um, want to get your thoughts on Tyrrell. I mean, he's yeah. obviously trending in the right direction um, with a great win at Bay Hill. Well, if he won the Masters virtually, he would have been our back-to-back -back winner. But um, what do you, how do you think this is going to affect him? I mean, he's obviously had that big layoff in November, December with a wrist injury, and he's come back. You can't say a better player, but he's certainly come back just all guns blazing. He's won one at Bay Hill, and he was... What do we think this break is going to do? Because he was definitely going into the Masters with some heat. Well, he likes his video games, doesn't he? He's a, he's a prolific gamer i think um so i wouldn't be surprised if he just i don't know buckles down and you know gets to like top 50 in the world on Fortnite or something stupid um <laughs> uh, I, I i don't i'm gonna go out on a limb here and you know potentially look extremely foolish and if anyone wants to come back up at me on this we'll tell hard, you we will do. tell you be assured i think that there seems to be a trend amongst the more consistent top players in the world and maybe it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy in a sense but those guys who are just really really you know who have played really well over the last couple of years are treating this lockdown as a chance to just completely switch off and just get some much needed downtime and know that their swings are still going to be there when they come back whereas I look at someone like uh, Justin Rose who's obviously a phenomenal player but has really struggled by his usual high standards over the last year I could imagine someone like him, you know, going on an indoor simulator, trying to find the secret to this swing by, or trying to find the secret to his positions and just, you know, working on the, the, the technical minutiae and just coming out and not competing at the level that we know he's capable of. Whereas the guys who seem to freewheel it, the Hattons who will just go and play video games for a couple of months when they've got a wrist injury, you know, the McElroys, et cetera, might just come back out refreshed, reinvigorated and just go and tear it up. That's, that's my hypothesis. I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think a lot of these guys, I'd agree. yeah, it's, this isn't about, 
going into an indefinite period of time where they don't know when they're playing tournament golf next and bring in a level of intensity that's obscene. Actually, it's about, you know, a lot of these guys got families, they've got stuff outside yeah. of golf they want to do. You know, back to the conversation we we're having recently with Iona talking about the, the, the practice she does and, and, and did with Dave Aldred where you're looking at inputs only and outputs only. And when you're limited yeah. in terms of your ability to see the output, how much can you focus purely on input? I don't amateur golfer. I'm not a professional golfer, obviously, but how much can you learn hitting balls in a net? I don't know. Yeah, even with a track man and a great simulator, I just think you could you could just really lose that kind of free-flowing even the fun element of the game by doing that and yeah i think for a lot of you know amateur golfers or aspiring young junior golfers there's definitely a place for what cameron mccormick and those type of people call like form work you know working in a mirror to you know focus on some technique or some swing changes that you've really wanted to dial in on for a while but for the best players in the world like you've got to just think that their techniques are so well grooved and and efficient already what good is gonna it, what good is beating balls in a simulator or an indoor net really going to do them during the lockdown period i don't think it i think it would do more harm than good at the risk of stat overloading uh, i'm just looking at the numbers here can anyone here tell me the first Who's, who's currently ranked first in 2020 for strokes gained tee to green? Got to be Rory. No, I reckon... I'm not sure you'll get it. Morikawa? No. Westwood? Are we talking top five in the world? No. 21st in the world. Tyrrell Hatton. We were just talking about him. So really? when you look at... And bearing in mind, that is including a bit of wraparound. There's, there's quite a bit of form going into that. And you think, fucking hell, that guy's... First on tour, tee to green, obscene stats, truly obscene. Is that PGA Tour though? How, how, mm -hmm. I wonder how many events that's based on. That's a good point, actually. Um, but, you know, the numbers speak themselves, it don't It will they? tell you. It, it does mm. tell me. It does tell me. But I'm Is still it producing. No, it's four. <laughs> it's four. But he's won four. He's won four. It's a good number. Um, yeah. We digress. There is one player that I wanted to talk about where I think is going to be particularly impacted by this. And that's... Um, Brendan Todd. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, if you guys will indulge me, if I'm thinking about players, this will impact quite heavily. Brendan Todd would be top of my list. Um, the reason I say that, Brendan's 34 years old. He's currently ranked 54th in official world golf rankings. Now, clearly he's packing wins, so he carries exemptions with him, but he's been on tour now for 12 years. He's currently ranked fourth in the, fret, in the FedEx. He's had two wins. He obviously had the back-to-back -back where he did the Mayakoba Classic and the RSM in November. It was almost three, wasn't it? That's right. Really close to the, getting three. The Bermuda and the Mayakoba, and then he nearly got the RSM for the third, didn't he? I mean, it's incredible. Now, he's definitely yeah. not a journeyman pro because he's playing at an extremely high level and he's winning. <laughs> so I'm going to caveat this statement. But he has won 9.2 million in 12 years on tour. In the 20... In, in the, in recent in the in sort of like last 12 months he's won 2.56 mil of that so financially massive impact there he's coming in like white hot with form into major season into all sorts of stuff that must have a massive impact for him he must be going home thinking Do you know what this is uh this is really irritating right mm. yeah i mean he as you say you've just outlined how prolific he's been over the last six or eight months um and at risk of me eating my words, 
talking about tour players not making swing changes. He is someone who has, with Bradley Hughes, like, you know, reinvented himself a bit, it, it seems, over the last couple of years. And he's gone on that run of form where I think Tiger's the only other person in the last, or Tiger, Tiger was the last person to win three events, three straight events. So, um, you know, he's clearly in pretty elite company when he's challenging for that, um, you know, accolade as well. So I, I totally agree. I think... You know he's not missed a cut in a in a while. Um, he's clearly just you, even if he's recently he's kind of dropped off the sort of top five positions and the really really high finishes. He's still a cash cash machine, isn't he? So he he probably yeah, wouldn't exactly. be happy that this layoffs come in. But then again, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's got a young family. Maybe maybe he's going to relish the time to spend uh, relish the chance to spend some more time at home. So I might be a little bit ignorant on that one. I don't know. The other thing, the other names I jotted down, Sung J.M., there was a concern there. Um, he, he's played considerably more events than anybody else on tour in, well, going back, you know, a long time. Has he got a place to go back to? Uh, kind of question mark on his welfare there. Um, the other thing I had is uh, Bezaden, who just got into the top 50 in the world rankings, three events on PGA Tour, all inside top 25, shot the lights out at the players, I think, first round, second in Dubai Desert Classic, clearly won the South African Open. Again, is that going to kind of impact him? Another similar player, really? Yeah. yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think um, I think mentally for a lot of them, it's. Um, I think it would be, it would probably, would certainly do damage, let's say, if they, one of them had a freak accident and injured themselves, couldn't play. But the fact that everyone on tour is currently had to just press pause, I don't think it will. I don't think it will affect them. I think they're both both Brendan and Christian. I think they're in pretty good places. That they've just come off. They both had a couple of nice wins recently in the last six months. They're on good form. I think financially, I'd imagine they're reasonably comfortable at this point. Um, mm. They're not struggling for the cards or anything like that. They're both in good spots. Um, I'd, I'd imagine they're just pretty pleased they got it in just before everything has sort of gone on hold. Well, yeah, of course, the, the category that we should definitely mention are... Um, I think it'll be on the other side. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, ca- the category yeah, we should mention definitely. is, that, um, is that, that, you know, those players who are struggling to keep their cards or just, you know, very much middle of the pack. Um, and, of course, the Challenge Tour and the Corn Ferry Tours as well. I mean, those guys there can't imagine that many people there are going to be very comfortable financially i wonder what kind of provision there is whether they fall in into you know some of the guidelines that have been outlined by the government because you know if we're staring at another month or two of of no competitive golf and diminished potentially diminished purses as a result of fewer spectators at these events you know it'd be really sad to see it have an adverse effect on on some of the mini tour players and the, the the players who aren't um maybe as well established on the main tours too i think what's going to happen i think it's going to happen across everything really and this is is i don't think the world that we're going to go back into it'll be the same as what the world we left and i think that extends to golf i just don't i don't know whether they're going to be able to certainly in the short term to cope financially and have these mm big purses on the challenge tour and giving such, you know, big purses on the PGA and the European tour, whether that's 
that's going to be something I think the whole world is going to have to change and golf is just one of those things isn't it well, it's propped up by sponsors isn't it so you know if you're taking a haircut on you know employment costs if you've taken a huge downturn in the market your marketing spend when it comes to golf events is probably going to be one of the first things that you chop if you're a chief exec of a kind of large large business in one of these countries or you know you know huge presence in one of these states you're probably going to go what i'm not sure we can actually contribute in the same way to the to this event that we have done previously well especially since you know the prospect of mass gatherings which entails or, or, or catches all sporting all live sporting events that it seems very very far off it's one thing you know for us to be looking forward to golf courses our local club reopening and even being able to go and play some other courses around the uk because that hopefully isn't that far off but and rarely you've about, got twenty thousand people following you around yeah <laughs> well yeah i mean uh, when we're talking about live sport as a whole and the prospect of tens of thousands of spectators walking around i i can't see that being um permitted for for quite a long time so yeah i mean it's interesting the players it, from what i gather the players have just been flat out cancelled after that first round and they divided the, the prize fund they divided the whole purse equally amongst the all the players there i think everyone got about fifty two thousand dollars each or something like that um but yeah i think you you totally raise a valid point there tom about maybe we're going to see diminished purses at least in the short term you know as it takes a while for things to sort themselves out certainly on the european tour i think the pga tour is a different beast um mm. But certainly affect the European Tour and sadly probably the ladies European Tour as well. Um, I think I think they were coming into um, sort of new spell of tournaments that had some pretty um, some pretty good purses. Um, but who knows if that will still stand? As you say, it's just all up in the air, really. But um, on the the topic of the virus now, things are going to change. It's come out in the news in the UK recently that. Um, the one of the the parties, the Green Party, want to take golf courses, uh, private golf courses, and open them up to the public for um, for use of exercise and dog walking and stuff like that. Um, it's interesting that, that comes out because I don't think that possibly um, is that municipal time or private these, courses. What are they? What's the private courses? Right. I think all golf courses. I think was a. It was Caroline Lucas from the Green Party. I think it was all golf mm. courses was her point, was that... It got a bit of traction I mean, on Twitter, didn't it? it? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because it obviously makes sense uh, from some sort of point of view, whereas you need green space. We need people need to exercise, and some people don't have gardens and things like that. And, that's, and if we're going to increase space between people, then that would obviously solve a problem. But I don't think that it's thought through in terms of the private members paying for a facility to be maintained to then be... I'll go out on a limb here, Tom. I think it's outrageous. It's never, it's <laughs> I think never it's absolutely outrageous. So, uh, you know, let me, let me um, try and qualify that a little bit. We have only three weeks ago had to shut every single golf course up and down the land and it, private clubs that were playing in a safe way or what they deem to be a safe way through inverted cups, leave the flag in, social distancing, um, you know, kind of not shaking hands, all those measures. We're now saying, well, I'll tell you what, they're still perfectly safe places to be, but as long as people aren't swinging their own clubs and hitting their own golf balls, it's not safe. So absolute, absolute drivel, to be honest with you. Well, it's, 
it's mm. Reading Golf Club um, just opened up and said, yeah, come use it. Oh, really? Which I think is interesting. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've just said... So come, opened come. up as a, as a golf course or opened up as a park? As and essentially a park. Well, I don't know if yeah. they're doing something to... Um, to manage people on the greens, I don't. I, I'm assuming fucking so. Or perhaps absolutely just, fucking ridiculous. Perhaps they just hope they're not going to go on the greens. Great. But it is. I mean, it's look, absolutely I, ridiculous. I'd go, go on a middle line here. I just say, look, it's it's clearly what Caroline Lucas and the Green Party is saying is well intentioned, and and they obviously, you know, looking at this, particularly in heavily urbanised areas like London, where there is a lack of green space, and saying, look, instead of overcrowding, you know the main parks there let's just open up a few of the surrey or the berkshire or the you know even more southerly courses and allow people to roam and and maintain social distance which is fine but i think it's just it it betrays a serious lack of understanding um and they're just not aware of like how much money and how, how many resources go into maintaining these these facilities um i don't think she plays the game yeah, <laughs> so she, so she won't have a play. yeah. I'm going out on the yeah. limit and saying yeah. I agree. I, I think it's quite easy to say, well, turn over your green space. Well, funnily enough, we've yeah. just uh, we just shut down all that green space because everyone's told us it's not safe. Um, yeah, I, I feel quite strongly on it. I won't waste any more airtime on the topic because it just seems absolutely ludicrous from my point of view. But I'm happy to be told to shut up by my three colleagues. Uh, just before we wrap it up, uh, I think it's worth a shout out as of a couple of hours ago, which uh, I think the RNA announced that very sadly, um, Doug Sanders has passed away. Um, I know Doug was um, certainly a big character in the game and um, certainly in his later years did a lot for junior golf. Um, so certainly thing on that note, I think everyone will probably raise a glass. Mm. And, um, very sad. Yeah, very sad news. But a very good great career dress sense on yeah. the on the course, unbelievable career. Peacock of the fairways, I believe. Which I'm, mm. you know, I think that's a yeah. that's a nice thing to, to to go out with in terms of a. He, he was like a forerunner to Ian Poulter, really, wasn't he? You know, before Ian Poulter came along in his crazy oh, big, gold outfits, certainly big flair was exactly, and probably not as many sort of wide-eyed chest beating when he held a sort of a three-foot putt, and probably not so much of that either. I suspect. Yeah. No, and I, I don't think he was the only one to lose to um, Jack Nicholas at some point. So. Uh, yeah rest easy doug you had yeah, a great life easy. and um so uh on that note um thanks very much for tuning in we will be releasing more content later this week uh, and in the meantime stay safe stay at home and uh look after yourselves cheers Adios. watch this